Good morning. Can I give you all a very warm welcome to our communion service here at Brighton Road. Thank you for joining us and thank you to those of you who are joining us online. Can I bless you with some words of scripture which declares who you are? 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10 say, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's stand and declare together the praises of him who's called us into his wonderful light as we sing, Salvation Belongs to Our God. Majestic, we ascribe honour and power to your name. Praise and glory be to you. You are high and lifted up, and nothing escapes your view. Jesus, you taught us that you know even when a sparrow falls from the tree. You tend to the flowers of the field as if each one was irreplaceable. How much more? Are we of value to you, each one of us, the work of your hands, the apple of your eye? And Lord, that's difficult for us to take on board, especially when we know that we are so far from perfect. But thank you that you look beyond our faults to our potential. 
you show mercy rather than condemning us. You express interest in what we can be rather than what we have been. You give us grace upon grace. So thank you, Lord, that you don't write us up, don't write us off. You don't leave us without hope. You draw close to us and promise that when we turn to you away from our past failures, you restore us. Thank you, Lord, that in your hands our brokenness isn't something that consigns us to the rubbish tip. You recycle us, you redeem us, you take us for what we are, and you fashion us into something beautiful. Thank you, Lord, that despite our waywardness and because of your compassion, we can be useful to you in the service of your kingdom. So as we listen to your scripture, may your word find its place in our hearts and enable us to believe that all is not lost. Speak to us clearly today. May your written word be brought to life by the presence of your living word here with us. We seek to submit to you in your ways. We want to put faith in your plan and purpose for us. And we want to put our trust in your promises. Amen. Can I invite you to be seated, please, and listen to God's word? <clears throat> the reading today is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see you, your good deeds, and glory uh, God uh, and the, on the day they visit us. Submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to emperor as a supreme authority, or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable <coughs> if someone bears up under pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive beatings for doing what is wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, and you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Praise be to God for his holy word. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we live in a broken, damaged, sinful, and violent world. Thank you for coming into our world, being one with us in our pain, our sorrow, our mortality. Thank you for loving us and redeeming us in spite of ourselves. And Lord, we recognize that we, we don't just look out on a sinful world, we find things in our lives. We are caught up in it all. We are sinned against and sinning ourselves. And we bring you our own pain this morning. For the times when people have said or done something that has caused us grief, and we have those negative emotions it's so hard to release. Lord, would you soften our hearts? Help us to forgive others, even as you have forgiven us in Christ. Heal us by your wounds, we pray. And then we think of times when we've been at fault when our words and actions have visited hurt on somebody else, either deliberately or carelessly. And we confess that even when we're aware that something has gone wrong, we, we've avoided it, we've not addressed it, we've not raised it, we shy away because saying sorry is so hard. Forgive us. And mend what we've broken.
Give us, we pray, your spirit, Lord Jesus. Instead of giving like for like, responding in kind, hurting those who've hurt us, give us grace to be peacemakers. Enable us to find ways of opening the door to reconciliation and healing. And as we look beyond our own lives and our own brokenness, we want to pray this morning particularly for the family of Sir David Amos and all those affected by his murder. In silence, we remember them before you. Lord, all those who are devastated at the murder of such a good man, give them your peace and your healing, we pray. We thank you for the response of politicians across the board. Thank you for the, the response of the community. Thank you for the response of, of mosques in the town where he was murdered. Lord, we, we turn against violence and pray for your peace for your righteousness, for your healing, for an end to the ideology of hatred that brought, seems to have brought about this murder. We commend our country to you, recognizing that violence in recent weeks has taken so many different forms. We pray for our police, and ask, them, and ask for them that they would be resourced to uphold the rule of law well and faithfully. We pray for those who frame and shape legislation and pray that you would give them wisdom. And in your goodness and in your mercy that you'd lay your hand upon us to guide us along right paths and into paths of peace. And for ourselves, as we live in our communities and our places of work and our towns, enable us, Lord, to be people of peace, peacemakers, people who represent you well in whatever situation we find ourselves. For we ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to say the words of the Lord's Prayer and would invite you to join with me should you wish to do so. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 to 7. This passage is entitled 
Israel's only savior. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sheba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together, Longing for Light.
seated, please be seated. Can I invite you to think back to a time when you were in physical pain? How vividly can you remember that? And when you recollect the pain that you felt then, can you feel it now? Does the memory of it cause that physical pain to resurface? I suspect for most of us the answer may be no. As a general rule, recalling physical pain doesn't bring that pain back. But emotional pain, that's different. When memories of emotional distress surface in our minds, we find it very difficult to detach ourselves from them. We remember them, and that inner grief can still be there. A sense of grief and pain and anger and sorrow is resurrected within us when we call to mind traumatic episodes from our past. Emotional pain stays with us in a way that physical pain does not. And let's not underestimate the damaging effects of emotional distress. When we are deeply upset, those negative emotions trigger exactly the same neural pathways in the brain that are activated when we experience physical pain. We're holistic beings, and our minds and our bodies are inextricably linked. One major source of emotional pain is rejection. It's particularly hard to cope if we are rejected by someone we love, wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, would-be boyfriend or girlfriend, close friend, father, mother. That pain cuts very deep. But we experience painful rejection when we're made redundant, when we fail a job interview, when we submit a piece of work that we've prepared and it's turned down. All of that hurts. And while there may be nothing personal in those latter categories of rejection, it's still hard not to take it personally. And if we're feeling vulnerable anyway, then that sense of rejection can lead us into very dark places in our souls. Trauma, depression, anxiety, anger, even violence. A sense of rejection can shred our self-esteem. It lowers our capacity to think clearly and rationally. It can cause us to take out our own sense of hurt on those around us. Why do we feel this so acutely? One theory is that our sense of rejection is so acute because it's been hardwired into our emotional system since primitive times, when the only way to survive was to belong to a community or tribe. If they banished you, if they kicked you out, if they exiled you, you'd have to make your way alone into a hostile wilderness where without the protection and the support of others, the odds were that you wouldn't survive for very long. In other words, our deep sensitivity to rejection is actually 
a primal survival mechanism. We need to belong because instinctively we know that our well-being depends on that. And what has any of this got to do with 1 Peter? Well, Peter was writing to Christians who did not belong. They were ostracized, they were marginalized in society. He describes them as aliens and strangers in the world. People who aren't welcome. People who are nobodies. People who don't matter. People who don't count. Those who are no good. Victims of prejudice who are made the scapegoats for anything that happens to go wrong. When societies come under stress, people tend to turn on the most vulnerable. Because if you, if you can oppress someone else, that means that you are not just a victim. There's someone who is worse off than you. And if you can push someone else around, that means you're not being pushed around by everybody else. But Christians, called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who endured suffering without retaliating, they found themselves victimised by society. They were perceived as being weak and vulnerable and easy targets. And there is nothing quite like being pitiful for awakening a sense of cruelty in others. In short, they were despised and rejected by society. And that had not just emotional consequences for them, but social and economic consequences as well. When resources were scarce, they were the ones who went without. And part of Peter's response to their plight is found in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10. And what he did was to counsel them to see themselves through God's eyes, rather than through the eyes of those who were rejecting them. And that advice holds good for us as well. For any of us who've experienced rejection at any point in our lives, take your bearings from how God sees you in Christ. And how does God see you? First of all, you are chosen in Christ. If you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, that is because God has selected you and called you by name. He has picked you out because he wanted you. And that makes you special, significant, and important in his eyes. That's his verdict on who you are, how much you matter. And we are called to ground our self-esteem in the knowledge that God loves us and has chosen us. Secondly, he says, you are royalty. However other people might treat you, on the inside, you are royalty. Kings would sometimes venture out into society dressed as common people. They've done it all, all through history. They did it in the ancient times as well. They would mix incognito with their subjects. Nobody knew who they were really, really were, and they were treated just like anybody else. Sometimes, but not always, with some bodyguards discreetly waking, waiting in the background to make sure that they were okay. But they were dressed as commoners, and that affected how other people treated them, but it didn't change their true identity. 
who they really were on the inside. And however much other people might judge you by outward appearances, the actual reality of who you are is that if you belong to Christ, you will reign with Christ. You are royalty. And other people might not see that now, and they might not treat you like that now, but don't forget your true identity. And thirdly, you are priests. That means you have privileged access into the presence of the living God. You can go where nobody else is allowed to go. In the temple in Jerusalem, there were different precincts. There was the court of the Gentiles, where anybody and everybody could go. And beyond that, there was the court of women. All Jewish people could go in there. Beyond that was the court of men. The women couldn't go in there, but the Jewish men could. And beyond that was the court of priests. And only the priests could go there and get that close to God. And God says, you, you're my priests. You can come close to me. You can come where nobody else can go. You are not an outsider in the sight of God. You are not one of those who is barred from coming into the presence of God. You are welcome in the presence of God. You belong. Your status as a priest means that you have exclusive and privileged access to the living God. Remember that. It's true whether you are physically able to come to church and be here or not. You have access to the living God. And you are a member of a holy nation. And being holy means being set apart to God, separated from all the riffraff. Holiness is an attribute of God which he shares with you. It, it's the family likeness. It has an impact on how we live. Being holy is a matter both of identity and of conduct but you are set apart from the rest of the world because you belong to God. You are holy to him as he himself is holy. Gives you a distinct identity which is nothing to be ashamed of. Then Peter says you are, you are a people for God's own possession. He treasures you because you belong exclusively to him. The world might reject you, but God is committed to keeping you safe, to preserving and protecting you, because you belong to him, and he doesn't want to lose you. You matter to him. He's going to take care of you. He values you, and because he values you, he's committed to looking after you. You don't need to be afraid. He's not going to lose you or let you go. You mean far too much for him him ever to let that happen. So whereas in the eyes of the world and maybe sometimes in our own eyes we may think of ourselves as nobodies don't think of yourself that way any longer. You are a member of God's own people because you belong to Jesus. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're not a number or a statistic or someone who doesn't count. You are enrolled on God's electoral register. He knows who you are. And if you've put your trust in Christ, you belong to him now. 
And whatever your nationality or your ethnic identity, however far away you are from the place you call home, whether you are a refugee or an exile or a stranger, you are a member of God's international family. And God shows you mercy. All those times that other people have blamed you or you've condemned yourself, you've beaten yourself up over all the things you've done or or you've accepted the guilt that other people have put upon you, let the mercy of God absorb all of that. Because he does not condemn or judge you. And if he does not condemn or judge you, then all the other accusations fall flat as well. Because Jesus has borne your sin for you. There is nothing in your past that is not covered by the mercy of God that comes to you through his son, Jesus Christ. He releases you from condemnation and from sinful, damaging patterns of behavior so that you can die to sin and live for righteousness. So whatever harmful words might have been said to you or said about you or spoken over you in the past, let me invite you to hear the words of healing that God addresses to you personally this morning through his son, Jesus Christ. I've chosen you. Your royalty. You can come to me. I've set you apart for myself. You belong to me now. And I will always show you mercy. It's God's promise to those who commit their lives to Christ as Lord and Saviour. And the fact that we've done that, or we feel able to do that, is a sign that all those things are true for us. What difference does that make to people who are up against it? Well, if you know these things are true deep down on the inside, it gives you a confidence about who you are, helps you hold your head up high. And that might make a difference to how other people treat you, because bullies don't tend to pick on people who are confident. But even if other people give you a hard time, knowing who you are on the inside reduces their capacity to hurt and wound you. And when it comes to the emotional trauma of rejection, knowing deep down inside that you are accepted by God makes a world of difference. Takes away that insecurity, that pain, that anger and hurt and replaces it with a sense of peace. God says, you've put your trust in Christ You belong to me now. You're okay. And this, this table, this is the place where we receive God's love and acceptance. At this table, we remember how Jesus went to the cross, taking upon himself the hatred and the violence, the rejection and the anger of the world, and replacing it with God's love and with God's grace and with God's peace and God's forgiveness. The cross is God's antidote to rejection. And we tap into that by the simple act of eating bread and drinking wine and saying, as we do, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting and welcoming me. And as I receive this bread and this wine without words, I receive your love, your grace, your acceptance, your salvation.
in the act of eating and drinking with faith, we say, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you for giving your life to redeem me. Amen. As we prepare to share communion together, let's sing, Behold the Lamb.
cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing together in the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not a sharing together in the body of Christ? So we who are many are one body because we all share in the one bread. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, for your body broken beneath the weight of my sin, I thank you. For your blood shed to cleanse away the stain of my sin, I thank you. For the covenant which binds us together to you, our Lord and Saviour, we thank you for this bread and this wine and all that they mean and represent to us. We bless you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We do this because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it. And gave it to those who were with him and said, Take, eat, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper he took a cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we know that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So can I invite you to stay seated? The deacons will serve the bread to you, including those of you in the balcony. The body of Christ is given for you. And as we recall how Jesus took the cup of wine after the supper, so we receive the wine and keep it so that we can drink it together as a sign of our fellowship in Christ. The blood of Christ given for you. Thank you. 
Christ gave his life for us. Christ gives his life to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that your grace covers our past. It's dealt with. May your grace be with us in the future, we pray. And in a moment of quietness, let's commend to God's grace those who are on our hearts, who aren't in this building, but who need God's grace to support them through difficult times. Let's remember them quietly before the Lord. Lord, if these names are in our hearts, they're on your heart as well. May your love and grace sustain them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together the closing hymn, What Grace is Mine.
I invite you to share together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Thank you.